Ronnie Moas says, watch the top 10 to 20 in market cap for investing in crypto. Ian Bellina is all about those altcoins. So what does Tone Vase say? We found ourselves actually without words, speechless a few times during our conversation with this trader and analyst. That doesn't happen very often because if it did, it would be the silent crypto podcast. You may also want to know what's going on with the cryptos. Is this a bear market or just another dip? We've got thoughts and we'll toss in our two doge worth. It's all the fun, frivolity, and fabulosity you'd expect from episode number 97 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. What's up, Travis and Joel? I've been loving your show since December, and now I am directing a cryptocurrency adventure drama short film, which I can't wait to unleash upon the world. But I've been following your show as long as I've been following cryptocurrency, and you've made the adventure a lot of fun, so stay bad. What are you sure of, Mr. Travis Wright? I am sure that this is going to entertain folks today. Tone Loke. Yeah, he's not Tone Loke, he's Tone Vase. Oh, that's true, that's true. Yeah. Good stuff. It is a little Bitcoin wild thing, though. Uh, this conversation was very surprising for me, and I don't want to put any spoilers out there. I kind of want to wait until the reveal happens in the actual interview itself. Well, you know, just one thing to know about Mr. Tone Vase is that he is a Bitcoin maximalist. And what does that mean, you say? Well, you will find out. You will find out. Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for maximalizing all things crypto. I'm Joel Kamm. He's Travis Wright, and together we are the Blockchain Blockheads. We are glad you're here. And you know what? We have heard that some folks like us to banter a lot, some folks like us to banter a little. So we're going to mix and match our banter around. How about today, Mr. Joel Kamm, we get in the news? Let's do it. Mr. Travis Wright, I'm not even really sure what this means. So because I don't know how the SEC views commodities, but the news that happened here recently is that a U.S. judge ruled that cryptocurrencies are commodities, which that's different than a security, right? Different than a security. So the security the SEC is in charge of, commodities, the CFTC is in charge of. So they have the broad leeway to interpret the federal law regarding commodities. And, uh, you know, this particular judge said that that is how they're going to legally define cryptocurrencies as commodities. And now it's not, you know, government wide. This was this one judge who has uh, stated this, but that's creating some precedent. And there was a fraud lawsuit against Patrick McDonald. Uh, who is a, a New York resident that was charged with cryptocurrency fraud scheme with his company Coin Drop Markets, and uh, the CFTC complaint was filed in, in back in January, and the defendant was trying to use you know the unregulated nature of crypto to have his case dismissed, and then the federal judge ruling said, nope, these are commodities, and we're going to move the case forward. Now, up into this point, crypto has been, according to the IRS, crypto is a property not a commodity. So it seems to me, Mr. Joel Kamm, that there is going to be some additional clarification about this as we move forward. There is going to need to be clarification. I'm linking a article on Find Law that is all about securities versus commodities, if you want to learn more about this. But, you know, we know securities are stocks, bonds, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, when you buy a security, you're investing. So, for example, a stock that you know, can uh, be in a public tra- publicly traded company. It can go up and go down. Bonds ensure a rate of return and and so forth. But a commodity, uh, the difference between them lies in what's being sold. You know, when you buy a stock, you get a share in the company. But when you get a commodity, you buy goods themselves before they actually exist. A, a buyer agrees to purchase X number of units of whatever the good is at a set price to be delivered later. Now, they're a form of investment as well, but uh, it says here in this article that a commodity's defining feature is its interchangeability. One unit is essentially the same as another unit. So does that mean, does that change the whole crypto to crypto thing, right? If one is the same as another, 
then how do you distinguish between the differences? Uh, this article says, for the most part, it's about quantity. Dun, dun, dun. To be determined at a later yeah. date, Mr. Jokom. We don't know yet. Yeah, I mean, we'll, have, we'll have to figure that out. Well, we won't. Somebody, somebody smarter than us will figure it out, which is a good thing. Space is evolving, right? Yeah. I mean, this is new. The, the regulation, the regulators are trying to figure out how to regulate because regulate is going to regulate and haters going to hate and other people are going to do what other people do. But this is important as this is a developing thing, right? There is no crypto is not really in a box. It is not defined uh, fully yet. And the it, taxes are hard to figure out. This is hard to figure out. So hopefully over time we get a little bit more defined in what it all means, the way everybody stays safe and and uh, comfortable in their crypto bubble. Uh, here's an article from Bloomberg, and it's about our friend Patrick Byrne, the CEO of Overstock.com. Mr. Byrne. Mr. Byrne. He recently spoke at the North American Bitcoin Conference in Miami. Apparently, he was wearing a red Make Bitcoin Great Again hat and a T-shirt that had the words Dirty Hippie on them. And basically, what he said is uh, that Wall Street is going to be replaced by crypto. Uh, and he says, quote, the simplest way to fix them is to drag Wall Street behind the barn and kill it with an axe and recreate it on blockchain. <laughs> so he is all about global ledgers, and he thinks that capital will be completely unleashed, that money will pour into crypto as it begins to gain over uh, stocks. Yeah, he mentioned he actually he prophesied that blockchain uh, and other, you know, Bitcoin and other digital currencies are going to solve like the pension crisis, maybe the uh, social security crises that are in different places, help revolutionize security lending, eliminate and eradicate poverty and potentially reduce terrorism. Because once you have these global ledgers, all kinds of things can happen. Capital is unleashed. And so very interesting to think about. And he has his own blockchain platform called T Zero. They are selling what about three hundred million in T Zero tokens or something like that. Yeah, they already raised a hundred million in pre-sale, and on their platform, the first set of tokens that's going to trade there is the Kodak coin, which is mm -hmm. uh, Eastman Kodak's attempt to become relevant again. So you know, uh, Mama, don't take my Kodachrome away. Mm -hmm. Having another Kodak moment right now. Actually, Mr. Joel, come. I want to talk about that. I found four rolls of film in a box from what I thought was the late 90s, early 2000s. And it turned out one of the rolls was pictures of the day my first child was born. So like literally the first picture of me holding my son was on this long lost roll of film that I developed and then picked up earlier this week, which was just crazy. And apparently, Travis, things don't really change. I'm beginning to think that you were born with that Casey hat on because you had it on in the photo as well, holding your baby I boy. Had, I did. I had one of them on. I have about 50 different Casey Royals hats, all the different special editions. And then when they made the playoffs and all the different, they have all these different types of them. So you'll see, oh, Travis is wearing the same Royals hat. That's actually, it's probably not. It's one of one about 50 that I have. You know what's a special oh. edition, Travis Wright? You're a special edition. You're one of a kind. Oh, thank you, Mr. Jokom. And speaking of one of a kind, here's watch for the seg. Here it comes. Would you like to guess by country where you can get one Bitcoin mined for the lowest price? Yes, this is an interesting article here on Marketing Watch. That was a the horrible segue, by the way. That was that was maybe the worst seg ever. Just gonna say that's okay. Um, yeah. I can live with it. I don't I'm good. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> you mad, bro? I'm not mad, bro. Not bad. The cost to mine one Bitcoin per country. Take a guess, Mr. Jill. Have you taken a look at this? Do you know uh, which I'm looking at it right now. So, yeah, my guess would be spot on. It wouldn't be a guess. It would actually be because knowledge. Because you looked at the answer already? That's yeah, I'm good. looking. So one Bitcoin to mine in Venezuela is what? $531. Yeah, so we're all moving to Venezuela. No, we're not. We're not. We're not moving. That would be dangerous, Mr. Joel Com. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bahrain, $16,000. What's the most expensive one? Looks like Solomon Island, $16,000. Ooh, $26,000. Costs $26,000 in South Korea to mine one Bitcoin. Good wow. Lie. So I, I don't think that that's, that's worth it. 
that's not worth it at all. Mm-mm. But if you want to go to Venezuela and deal with all the people that are trying to get out because they're starving to death under the uh, dictator there, then, you know, that's that's something. I talked to somebody at a conference that said that they were buying up land in Venezuela in warehouses and setting up mining uh, operations there. And now I know why. <laughs> yeah, because of that. $500 to mine a Bitcoin there. That's that's not bad. So this episode's going to broadcast a few days from now while we are in South by Southwest, um, while we're there at the uh, the event. I just got off the phone with uh, Bitbender, Jason Brink, and we were talking a little bit about the price of Bitcoin right now because there's a dip going on. You know, it went sub 10,000. It might be there now. It might not be. But the markets in general had fallen below 400 billion. Uh, and I don't know where it is when you're listening to this. But, you know, he, I said, what do you think's going on? And he said something. And I said, you need to tweet that so we can link to it. And he did. He tweeted it. Now we're linking to it. And what he said is, I think it's important to remember that to the average person, Bitcoin disappeared a few weeks ago when the major networks stopped talking about it. Once they remember it exists, the inevitable media hype will pick back up. This is still about getting big banks a good entry. Uh, interesting analysis. It is. And another thing, we had somebody on, I don't know who, who it was that we were chatting with, but this was a really interesting way to look at, at crypto for me was that don't look at Bitcoin versus the price of the dollar. Like, oh, Bitcoin is you know $10,000 now. Actually look at Bitcoin as the price of the dollar compared to Bitcoin. Because if you look at Bitcoin, you know, even a year ago or two years ago, um, you know, the price of one, like, see right now, like right now, $1 in in Bitcoin is 0.0001. That is what $1 is worth. It's worth, wow, what is that? One ten thousandth of a Bitcoin, 0.0001. That's crazy. And if you think about that, like a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I mean, you could buy like several Bitcoin for a dollar. So the price of the dollar is really falling against Bitcoin, even though Bitcoin right now is $9,600. It's 0.0001 Bitcoin is a dollar right now. So that's still, it's still your, your mind is blown when you start looking at this because fiat currency is always losing value. Bitcoin is typically growing in value because there's a finite amount of them. And right now, $1 is 0.0001. That sounds binary. What is that in binary? 0001. I don't know. Probably letter C. (laughs) The letter C. Oh, by the way, you know what? I've never actually told anybody about this. Now that I have it in my hand, I'm going to I'm going to do a, a quick commercial here, Mr. Travis, right? That- actually, 0.0001 is the decimal one. Oh, well, there That'd you go. be zero, 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 one, not point zero, zero. That's kind of like when people ask what one bad coin is worth. One bad coin equals one mm-hmm. bad coin. Mm-hmm. That's true. Wow, okay, so cycle. here, here's my quick commercial. That sound, that is the sound of the ka-ching button. And I've had people ask me about that. It, those are actually available on Amazon.com. How do I know? Because they're mine. I've been selling them for years. It's this round button with an evil dollar sign on top. It's green and it makes that sound. If you go to Amazon and just go look for ka-ching button, K-A-C-H-I-N-G, you will find it and you can be cool too and have one of the buttons with the currency that is uh, decreasing in value every day. Mm. You know what? Why don't we create a bad coin version of that? And then whenever you click it, it can go cha-ching. Who's bad? bad? (laughs) Well, way cooler you guys are in for a treat right now because we've been on the lookout for people that add varying opinions to the bad crypto podcast and travis met tone vase on the blockchain cruise and i did not know what we were in for and uh, there might be some periods of this where you can see my my mouth literally my jaw hang open because of what I'm hearing. And uh, we welcome these uh, these opinions. We think you guys are going to enjoy this, but we want to know what you think. So make sure you go to the Bad Crypto Mastermind at badco.in forward slash mastermind and look for that post for this episode. And please comment. I have a feeling that we're going to have a real fiery conversation over this, our interview with Tone Vase. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen and citizens of Bad Cryptopia, um, this will be a treat. Uh, you know, we've always talked about learning more about trading, being more effective in how we do trading in the crypto space. Uh, you know, Joel, mostly he's a hodler, so he's he's holding his cryptos. I mostly hold, but I have some coins I like to, to get more of. And uh, when I was on the blockchain cruise uh, last month, I guess it was last month or the month before, I guess it was a month and a half now at this point, uh, I met this gentleman, Tone Vase, and uh, he is a, a blockchain consultant. He's a researcher, but he is really legit when it comes to trading the crypto. And I sat through one of his sessions and he was showing some really cool stuff when it came to technical analysis and whatnot. And so wanted to chat with him and uh, see if he wanted to come on the bad cryptos. And ladies and gentlemen, he said yes. So what? Uh, we're, we're pretty excited. Mr. Tone Vase, how are you doing today? Good, sir. Uh, doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. This should be fun. Now, we're, we're glad you're here. We're going to lay down a little of that funky cold Cardano. He's not Tone Loke, all right? Oh, wrong, wrong, wrong one. Yeah. We're not going to do the wild thing? Uh-uh. Oh, man. Okay, well, I'm good with it because we're gonna I, do I the took crypto thing. The crypto yeah, there's, thing. There's actually, there's actually a really funny like uh, karaoke song like uh, on Cardano. Uh, it's on a crypto karaoke channel on YouTube. You guys should check that out. You'd love it. There's a crypto karaoke channel. Oh my gosh, I'm in. Yes, that is, sounds amazing. Wait, I, I've learned all I need to know today. Thanks for the interview, Tone. <laughs> you uh, you've got a website, uh, LibertyLifeTrail.com is your gig, and you are all about financial independence, right? You're all about using technology to promote economic freedom. Uh, when did you, uh, shall we say, get woke to the state of money and why we need a, a new system? Uh, probably around uh, 2011, 2012, when I started following the, the Ron Paul uh, run for president uh, then, and uh, of course, o Obama won second term. But that, that's when I really got into this whole, you know, libertarian. And then that leads you into reading about like the anarcho-capitalist side of things. Uh, but it was around that time, like hoping that Ron Paul would get the Republican nomination to go up against uh, Obama round two. Yeah, it's always it's always interesting when to, to hear how people sort of awaken. You know, I, I, I thought Ron was a, a, an awesome candidate. You know, anybody who talks about wanting to audit the Fed to me is uh you know a pretty good candidate just just on that alone because it's never been audited we have this financial system that is you know unaudited we don't know how much how much money they've actually printed out we don't know how much money they have it's and it's not actually a federal agency a lot of people think oh it's the federal reserve it's part of the government no it's neither federal <laughs> nor is it a reserve and uh, they named it that way to trick us and so Kind of crazy. So, uh, you know, how, how, so after you had learned about this, how, what, what, what was your journey down the rabbit hole after that? Well, after that, uh, I started watching more alternative media, you know, uh, started watching a couple of shows on RT. Uh, I don't know if you guys were watching RT back then. There was a show that I really like called Capital Account. Eventually it became, you know, boom bust with different hosts. Uh, also started watching Max Kaiser. And that's how Bitcoin came onto my radar. And even though I heard about Bitcoin in 2011, I didn't actually go out to source some Bitcoin until the um, Cyprus incident of 2013. I believe it was in March 2013 when Cyprus banks got shut down, money was confiscated, just taken from people. So that was like my final moment to say, hey, what can somebody do about this? How can someone protect their assets? Because leaving it at the bank is not a smart move. And investing in gold is actually also not a smart move because gold continues to go down, even though I was buying gold at the time. Uh, and I'm an analyst and I'm looking at it. And I bought into this whole idea, well, you got to buy gold, but gold doesn't go up. So like doing a little more research led me to believe that gold is actually a pretty bad investment. But Bitcoin does everything they promised gold should be doing, but Bitcoin is actually doing it. Uh, so Bitcoin turned out to be a great investment at any time that you've bought it, other than unfortunately buying it at the very high, which I also did in 2013, buying some of it, some Bitcoin on that bubble to 250 due to Cyprus events. Uh, I, I took that very seriously. And ever since then, 
uh, Bitcoin remains the number one use case to me, being it's the only asset that is just unconfiscatable when properly handled, stored, and secured. Did you see the the run up at the end of the year coming? Was you know was that a, a shock? It just how fast and furious you know things went crazy in the crypto market. Uh, the one in at the end of 2013? Uh, no, I'm sorry, 20, uh, 2017. 2017, the, the right. So just like the big run-up at the end of 2013 caught me by surprise, uh, same thing with this run-up. Like they they were both, they, they shouldn't have happened. They were both just irrational exuberance and the liquidity kind of dries up, but the demand continues and it just goes up. So what happened in 2013 was right after the Silk Road shut down, people thought that Bitcoin all of a sudden will become useless. And then the price goes up 10 times from uh, about 100 bucks all the way to over a thousand bucks. And during that time, it was basically just this big hype cycle, plus the Senate hearings about Bitcoin uh, seemed to go a bit favorable to Bitcoin as a technology and that the government was going to like take this wait and see approach. Uh, so that combination really helped just drive the price up and everyone thought that Bitcoin would dominate the world. And then we suffered a one and a half year bear market and correction. I, I felt in a similar position on this current run up in December where I thought that going to 7,500 in, in November, October, November was more than enough. And we have gone up even more than we should at that point. And I was looking for a more sustained correction. Of course, once we started going up back above 7,500, my technical analysis says, well, you got to buy, you got to ride this bubble uh, to make money. But I was not happy about it because I knew the faster and more we go up, the more the pain is going to be, which is why the drop from 20,000 to 6,000 didn't bother me. And I was actually a big bear. I mean, I, I did get caught in a little bit of a bull trap. I'll be honest about that. But once we've fallen back down to like 11,000, 12,000, I was calling for back to 7,500, another 50% fall, maybe even lower. And people were upset at me over that. But I kept saying, hey, the charts are telling me we're going to fall more. So I'm going to trust my charts. And why are you upset? I mean, right now, the price of Bitcoin is 11,000. We 11,000 was an all time high two and a half months ago. Like, if this was the new all time high and we never went to 20K, you'd be insanely happy right now with how Bitcoin has performed. Yeah. You know, that's one of those things. It's like they don't necessarily take it all into perspective when you look at it and you go, yeah, it was at an all time high 20,000. Now it's, you know, it, the, the whole market went from, you know, $250 billion on Thanksgiving Day. That's when it hit $250 billion for the first time. And then next thing you know, it was almost $850 billion. And, and then they're mad that it went down to $400 billion. Look, I'm, <laughs> I want my psychos to go to the moon now, Travis, now. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually, I'm more, I'm more encouraged by this than discouraged because imagine if, we, if instead of going to 20000 we would have gone all the way to 100000 The fall back to current numbers would have been way more devastating than the current fall to current numbers. Yeah, it's so true. And the thing is, is that once, once Bitcoin starts getting to these really large numbers, you know, you know, we've had these big falls before. I mean, these, you know, these big, these big, you know, rises and then these big falls, they've happened in the past, right? The only deal is, is that whenever you're at $1,000 and you fall 25%, you go down to $750. But when you're at 20,000, you fall 25%, you just lost $5,000 off of that. And so people are like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. And I, I look at this like crypto's pretty much just beginning we've had different people on the show and and they've talked about how you know worldwide there's 200 trillion dollars worth of paper money and if you add in all the stocks and the gold and the derivatives and everything else we're sitting at between 1.2 and 1.4 quadrillion dollars worth of wealth worldwide and we're sitting at a crypto market right now of 450 billion dollars and so to me, that seems like we're just getting going. What is, what is your thoughts on where we are and where potentially we could be down the road? Well, uh, that's the thing. Like you have to define what you mean by crypto market, right? Because we have uh, Bitcoin, which I think is just stands there head and shoulders above the rest. 
My next tier is altcoins that were created in Bitcoin's image, which means they were created kind of fairly. There isn't like this one guy at control. Uh, and that tier is also pretty small. And it's kind of, you know, Monero and Litecoin are sort of at the top of that tier uh, because Charlie Lee doesn't really have much control over Litecoin other than, you know, having the most verbal influence. But it's questionable how much verbal influence he even has. Uh, so, uh, well, and he, he sold his entire stack. So, you know, there's that. Well, you don't know that, right? He says he did. Like in, in reality, I mean, he has a reputation for being honest, so you can assume he did. But in reality, you you can't trust what anybody says, right? Like uh, you you can't trust the. I mean, I could have zero Bitcoin. You know, you 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 just don't know. I could be just like talking uh, for the last three years and never bought a single one, right? Uh, so are you lying you know, to us, Tone Bays? <laughs> hmm? Nice. Don't lie yeah. to us about that. <laughs> so so. I mean, to me, Bitcoin is head and shoulders above the rest because all the innovation is happening in Bitcoin. That's where the the most number of qualified developers are. I mean, stuff that is developed for Bitcoin gets absorbed by numerous altcoins. So far, nothing that has been purely developed for an altcoin has never made it its way into Bitcoin. So to me, Bitcoin is at the top. The next tier are coins like Monero and Litecoin. Maybe there are a few others, but I kind of focus on Monero and Litecoin. Now, to me, these coins aren't like necessarily scams. They're they're more like test nets. And while I think they are fair and legit, I don't consider them good long term investments. Sure, you can like uh, hold them short term uh, when Bitcoin has its you know issues with you know large cost of a transaction fee. Uh, a clogged up mempool, they they could be a little bit useful. Monero could be a little bit more private than Bitcoin at the moment, could be a little bit useful. So at the moment, they're borderline useful, but long term, I don't see much. After that, we have the next tier of altcoins, which is like 99.5% of all other altcoins. To me, these altcoins had very questionable beginnings. They have a single developer at the helm uh, that makes all the decisions. And these are coins like Dash. These are coins like Zcash. Uh, these are coins like uh, Bcash. Like to me, these are pretty scammy because the whole intention was for one or two guys to get rich by either doing something shady in the beginning, by insta mining for themselves, and then changing the rules at will, like making it half proof of stake so they can continue to earn more tokens from their creation. Uh, that's Can the I next just say, Tony, yes. you, you get the bad crypto seal of approval for calling it Bcash. We 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 appreciate that. I think I started that. I I I, 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 I publicly publicly like I wasn't the, I wasn't the one that came up with it, but I think I was one of the biggest uh, podcasters that never called it anything else, almost from the beginning. So I think so Roger um, here is giving you the the bird. He's he's flipping you off. Well, he's uh, he's flipping other people off that 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 were following my lead, so probably yeah. So I'm sure he's not very happy with me. So, but after that next tier of altcoins, then we have, and Ethereum is kind of in between that because uh, yeah. So Ethereum is also in that tier, right? Because Ethereum isn't really an altcoin. Ethereum is an ICO. That's the difference, right? So after the altcoins that had a real genesis block, or the, let's say the second block, I'll give the genesis block a pass because the Genesis block was mined only by Satoshi. So if you are creating an altcoin, I'm okay with you mining just the Genesis block, unless that Genesis block represents 50% of all future tokens, right? So there is some uh, discretion there. But uh, Ethereum was an ICO. People seem to have forgotten the history of Ethereum. Ethereum is no different than all the ICOs are being built on top of Ethereum. So that goes into the ICO bucket. So the ICO bucket is the next tier. And to me... Uh, again, 99.9% of all ICOs are kind of scammy because all they're doing is they're creating an IPO by bypassing all of the regulation that took you know hundreds, if not thousands of years to get to this level. And all these regulations are really there for is to make sure that only qualified investors are able to invest in speculative projects in return for speculative equity. And to me, all, like 99.9% of these ICOs 
are unregistered, unlicensed securities. And uh, then we can get into the concept of application tokens, why they make absolutely no economic sense. Uh, then we can get into why do you want your what I consider a security to also be a quasi-currency. Uh, why do you want this thing being traded and pumped and dumped by 12-year-olds? Because there's absolutely no uh, structure there. So ICOs fall into the third bucket of the actual bubble. The ICOs are the dot-coms of the late 90s. So when I know this was like a winded discussion definition, but when you say the crypto market, what do you mean? Are you encompassing everything I just listed? Or do you have your own bucket for what you consider crypto? Yeah, Travis. Well, I would consider I would consider what coin market cap says, right? It's the combination of all the crypto uh currencies, all of the the tokens and, and the coins, and you know, they sort of lump them all the Bitcoin with all of the companies that are altcoins and ICOs. Um right now it's at four hundred and forty-four billion dollars yeah i just uh, i'm opening it up on my end now sure so there's two problems to have there right um one of them is even on coin market cap you can kind of display them as tokens as coins and they started to differentiate now you also have to realize coin market cap is like one of the first websites to show you this stuff it was probably created by you know a couple of 19 year olds 20 year olds that designed the web page uh, they really like don't care what they stick up there, and they're just sticking. They're just summing them all up for convenience, and for some reason, the entire world seems to be treating those numbers as some kind of a uh, you know mathematical and financial standard. When in reality, it's a couple of guys that decided to add a bunch of numbers. You're a ball buster, Mister yeah. Mr. Tonevay. Yeah, he is. So, so here, you know, you say this is the dot com of the late '90s, but you know, here we are in 2018, and dot com is huge. I mean, the the web it rules the world. Are you, you know, are you suggesting that most of these tokens that aren't Bitcoin are just going to go away and have no practical application, or you know, is this here to stay? Well, I'm actually suggesting that. All of them will go away. So the to me, there's only going to be room for one public blockchain, just like we only have room for one public internet. We're all using the same internet. We're just building our dot-coms on top of that internet. Uh, what I see from all of these ICOs and all of these altcoins, uh, they're not companies on top of the public blockchain, Bitcoin. They're competitors to Bitcoin itself. Uh, so I see all of them as going away. I don't see any use for pretty much all of that. Now, that to me seems seems really interesting because I look at, you know, I'm a marketing technologist by trade. Joel's a, a marketer and a futurist. He's been in this game for a long time. And I look at all the various different industries that can be disrupted by blockchain, right? And then, you know, blockchain is its own thing. Then you have the decentralized apps that can be built on top of that. But then he's, even as you move further up the food chain, you start talking about, multi-chains and public and private side chains and how, you know, sometimes you want some data private and some data can be public and you can access some data. And there's some really intricate, you know, projects that are getting built out. Uh, I would I would be curious to to hear why you think that some of those maybe don't have value uh, because they're not Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm on the other side of that bet. And uh, that bet can go up in value for a while. I mean, again, if we're where we just started 2018. So if 2018 is comparison to 1998, then we still have a good year and a half where the NASDAQ went up in value, you know, more than doubled probably in that, in that last year and a half. So my view on it is that decentralization is a gross technological inefficiency. Uh, Bitcoin is and like torrenting, uh, they're pretty much the only successful uh, decentralization tools, because the only reason to decentralize something is to prevent censorship. Now, it was very important for Bitcoin to be decentralized because that was its function. Its function was to decentralize uh, the way people send money to each other. Because before Bitcoin, the only decentralized censorship resistance means of transferring money to each other was by handing cash from one person to another. 
which is kind of useless for the world of the internet. And we're pretty much internet creatures now. So Bitcoin set out, uh, Satoshi set out to fix a very specific problem. That problem was that until governments treat money as property, the world needs a decentralized value transfer. Now, the way the government can fight Bitcoin is to declare money as property and say there's no such thing as money laundering laws. Kind of like, you know, uh, drugs are about to become legal. Let's say the government, the U.S. government says, hey, marijuana is legal, right? So there you go. So you can now buy marijuana on the Internet. There'll still be an age restriction. So you may still need to use blockchain and Bitcoin if you're underage, you know, to get around that restriction. But decentralization is a gross technological inefficiency, not efficiency. This is the big difference. It's a gross technological inefficiency to get around a censorship problem. All of these projects are trying to convince you that there is an inefficiency in contracts and contracts need to be decentralized. But in reality, 99% of contracts do not have a censorship problem. In, In fact, you want these contracts to be legal because you may have to dispute these contracts in the future. So without a censorship problem, decentralizing something technologically is very inefficient. And a lot of these companies, including Ethereum, are trying to come up with a way to make them efficient. And they're like, well, we're going to go proof of stake and we're going to go sharding. And they have absolutely no guarantee that A, that math is sustainable and B, how are they going to do that? How is Ethereum going to convince all of their miners that are mining this very profitable Ethereum token that they all need to just go away and people will just earn more Ethereum by holding more Ethereum? And everything and everything is being built on top of Ethereum with this major technological problem. We we do have a censorship problem though. You know, I mean in, in the United States of America, um, you know, we we probably have amongst the freest speech, but all around the world, um, there are countries that are, are heavily censoring and there are institutions that are highly centralized that are controlling you know, the information that is being dispensed and the, the world money supply and who gets what. Do you not see these some of these other projects as empowering and, and overcoming that censorship issue? Well, well, again, right, if we're talking about money and the transfer of money, that's the problem that Bitcoin solves. The proposition of Ethereum is that your contract is being censored, right? So, uh, like this, that, that whole mess with the DAO and Slockit. So I pick on Slockit because it's a good example. Slockit was bringing you their project. It say, I'm renting an Airbnb from you and the lock that's on your door, the smart lock that's on your door that allows me to enter your house with you not there needs to be totally decentralized. And the computation of me entering your house needs to be recalculated and stored and verified with every single block for the rest of time, for the rest of human existence, right? This is what they're telling you is technologically efficient. When in reality, no one is censoring the act of me entering your house through a smart lock, unless it's illegal for me to enter your house through a smart lock, right? So for example, decentralizing Airbnb or Uber only makes sense in cities and countries where Uber is actually illegal. Like Uber will always be more efficient as a centralized system where it can legally operate. Uh, A decentralized system of Uber or Airbnb will be grossly inefficient and it will be annoying and it will be horrible with horrible arguments and horrible disputes. But if that's the only option you have because Uber is illegal and Airbnb is illegal, you'll deal with it. Like Bitcoin isn't always fast and it isn't always anonymous and it isn't always cheap to send the transaction. But you know what? It's the most stable. And when you have to do it, you're going to do it. That's the big difference. Mm. Well, that's one of those things where, you know, I see where you're coming from. I think you, you make some very valid points. Now, I've gotten to the point where, you know, if I'm going to make a trade, I don't send Bitcoin over. I'm, I'm going to send Ethereum over. I'm going to send Lumens over because they're way faster and they get there instantaneous so I can make 
those trades that I want to make whenever I want to make them. And so I think there are a lot of a lot of different use cases, you know, for uh, the different types of companies that are popping up, you know, and, and I wish them well. It's like I, I like decentralization. Like just for example, you're big on YouTube. Um, we're not big on YouTube. And in fact, we just sort of had our podcast pop up. We, we would take we're, our we're audio and we would YouTube. add it. We're, 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 go- we're nowhere on YouTube. They actually banned us um, because we're talking crypto. We weren't pumping and dumping or making any financial recommendations at all. They just decided to ban us. You could be. Ne- and um, um, I, 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 I doubt it. I yeah. think I have a big enough following now. I mean, Twitter just tried to ban me and uh, I refused to comply with their request. And instead, I informed the world of Twitter that Twitter banned me for no reason. And I have 130,000 followers on Twitter and Twitter support got flooded to where I got my account back within 24 hours. Yeah, but there's others who yeah, haven't. But- there's, there's others who have gotten banned that, that haven't gotten back and are losing their accounts. And it, it's highly centralized. I love that we're having this discussion, by the way. And I love that you are as bearish on everything but Bitcoin as you are, because it really, I think these are questions that need to be asked. But don't you think that there's too much power well, I, I, in the hands of, of Google and Facebook and Twitter? Well, it's sort of, right? I mean, again, we can have a whole discussion. I would love, like, there has to be more details there because... Again, YouTube doesn't just ban for no reason. They had to provide a reason. And there are lots of crypto uh, content creators on YouTube that never got banned, right? So there has to be something there. I'm sure uh, YouTube has an explanation. And granted, YouTube is a big company that's part of Google. So even if they made a mistake in banning your channel, it might be a little hard to get someone on the phone you know, or to get someone to deal with the situation. So yeah, I mean, this happens. uh, But the difference is with Google, you still have someone to deal with to at least have a chance to solve your problem. When the situation of the DAO happens, when a decentralized application just goes belly up because of technological incompetence, there's absolutely no recourse there. Yeah, it's it's... It's one of those challenges things is that a lot of these crypto and these ICO companies, they have minimal, in some cases, no customer support, right, at all. And uh, and then people are going to have problems with their with their service. What happens in a situation where you're having customer support issues with a completely decentralized company? And they have no, then there's no recourse. I mean, it is kind of an interesting and, challenge. And, and, and before you even get that far, like... Who is actually overseeing that they're even building what they promised to build? Like, how do you know like that that these things have anyone working in the back end? I mean, once you ICO, all the money you you will ever have is there. Now your choice is do you walk away with this money now or do you try to pump this money to make more money, right? Uh there unless you're gonna ICO round two. Like, and there is absolutely no like oversight. People always say, well, we can, you know, regulate ourselves. And my answer is no, you really can't. Like, what is, uh, this is what I've been doing with people lately. Like, what are your top three favorite uh, tokens that you are thinking of holding for the long term right now? Uh, an example? Okay, I, I would, I'll, I'll throw one, I'll throw a couple down. Like, outside, outside of the, uh, sorry, outside of the common ones, right? Like, like no Bitcoin, no Monero, like, no Litecoin, like, something. No, EOS is one I like. I think Dragon Chain is interesting because of the, of the platform. What I traditionally do investing-wise, which is my own philosophy, is, you know what, I like the platforms or the protocols that others are building on top of, right? Because if there's a use case for that, like Ethereum, Ethereum took off, people are building on top of Ethereum. There's some other really unique solutions out there. You know, I like EOS. I said uh, Dragon Chain. I like bad a couple coin. other ones. I think, ba- I think bad coin mm-hmm. has a huge yeah. future. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll quickly mention EOS. So uh, when EOS was releasing their token and their terms and conditions, they made it very clear that this token has absolutely no monetary value. It has absolutely no monetary function. Uh, they basically told you that they're, and they have zero obligation to do anything with that token. So the purchase of that token was 100% speculative. Now, you can say that, oh, they're only saying that in the terms of conditions so the regulators wouldn't get them. Uh, Now, the regulators aren't stupid. So when the regulators see that you put something in your terms and conditions, 
for the sole purpose of avoiding regulation, they will come down on you even harder, okay? Because they know that you're only doing it to pretend that you're not doing it. So that's actually even worse, okay? Now, uh, the concept of an EOS token is the same concept as the Ethereum token. Uh, these applications try to convince you that they need their token in order to function. In reality, they don't. See, Bitcoin needed a token to be moved around on the Bitcoin blockchain because that was the purpose of the token to be moved around as money. Ethereum's token is actually to be used to pay for a smart contract. So in reality, what Ethereum is trying to convince people and EOS and all these other application tokens, they're trying to convince you that Amazon would be more successful if every single product you bought from Amazon, you had you the only currency you could use is Amazon speculative stock. They're trying to convince you that the only token to be accepted is their currency. Netflix would have a better business if only they accepted Netflix stock as the only currency for your subscription. Uh, I'll take it one step further. Like eBay, um, the only currency on, e on eBay would be PayPal. And, sorry, the only currency on eBay would be eBay stock that you now have to go buy. But how do you go and buy eBay stock in order to pay for something on eBay? You have to buy it from an exchange or a broker. So fine, you're going to go to E-Trade uh, and you're going to buy uh, the stock of eBay to buy from eBay. But the only but the only currency that E-Trade accepts in order to sell you eBay stock is eBay stock. Sorry, right? so so it becomes this like crazy cycle where every single person only accepts their own currency that they print and create at will. And that makes absolutely no economic sense whatsoever. And I don't understand why the world hasn't figured this out yet. Uh, but hey, everything's pumping. It used to be the way that it used to be, right? When, like before these central banks sort of took over, there was, you know, currencies that were in different areas. Like in, in the Civil War times, there was 10,000 different banks and currencies. Yeah, it was, and it was a complete, it was a complete disaster. Well, it's way better than having one person or one entity in charge of all the currency where they can print as much as they want. I mean, $1 in 1913 versus $1 today, we've lost 98 plus percent of that purchasing power because of the inflationary aspect of that, which is why we sure. all like, you know, well, crypto I mean, because it's deflationary. Sure. Yeah. That, that's true. Uh, that, 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 while that is true, right? Having infinite number of currencies is actually would have had even bigger inflation. Uh, the other problem of what happened during that time in American history is when Andrew Jackson eliminated that second Federal Reserve Bank and every single bank had the ability to print their own money, no one knew which money was legit and which money was counterfeit. That actually led to the creation of the Secret Service. And to this day, the number one job of the Secret Service is to deal with mm -hmm. counterfeit U.S. money. Their second job is to protect the president. Right. Well, this is this is all fascinating stuff, and we uh, we appreciate your opinion. I know this is going to lead to some really great discussion within the Bad Crypto Mastermind. So you guys make sure and go in there at badco.in forward slash mastermind on Facebook and uh, share your thoughts about what uh, Tone has said here. As we get ready to close out, then let's talk about the coin that you obviously believe in, and that is Bitcoin. So you're charting, you're doing technical analysis. Where do you see Bitcoin running here? in the short term here as we enter spring of uh, 2018 and then uh, by December 31st what kind of projections would you make oh lately I've st I've tried not to make projections into the end of the year because like Bitcoin changes day to day I, in fact I've actually started making daily videos to try and keep my pop my followers you know up to speed on my views on Bitcoin. Yesterday, I went over this whole week, I was pretty bullish on Bitcoin that we're going back to 15,000. Uh, last night, I warned my users that for the first half of this week, uh, we are looking at a little bit of a correction uh, over the first half of the week. Now, the correction has already started and we've already fallen like almost $1,000 in the last uh, 24 hours and change. Uh, so the correction is happening a little bit faster and a little bit bigger on this first day of my one to four day correction. So at the moment, I remain bullish and I'm still looking for a price target of 15, 16,000 uh, going into the summer. 
Uh, however, if we continue to fall and we are back in the $9,000 range, uh, I will probably be scratching that entire plan of 15000 by the summer, and I may even be more bearish into the end of year calling for lower than 6000 uh, And this is the thing with technical analysis. Uh, if you're going to follow another person for their price predictions, you have to follow everything they say. Uh, you can't just uh, listen to this one podcast. Uh, oh, this guy said we're going to be at 15000 by the summer, and then three months later, inform how wrong he was, because three days later, he could have easily changed his mind and informed all of his normal, consistent followers that his target is now 3,000 instead of 15. Uh, so this is one of the things that I try to educate people on. So my target, I'm still looking for a one to four day correction that started earlier today that I did inform my followers on a day in advance. And after that, at the moment, I am expecting a turnaround looking for more prices. But like I tell people, I'm looking for a one to four day correction, and then I will reevaluate and we'll see from there. So people will have to follow me on YouTube and watch my daily videos when I give my latest projections on what I see for the price. You know, you, you've done some, some really interesting stuff when it comes to teaching people how to trade. Right. That's in you. And you have a, a, a really interesting process. That was one of the things that that really when I was sitting there in your in your session, I was like, dude, this dude knows some things about trading that most people don't know and they wish that they knew. And you have actually built some some technologies that work with trading view. Right. And so you're using some of the DeMarc indicators. If you want to maybe just kind of real, real I know it's a, it's a kind of a deep subject, but maybe. Talk about you know some of the some of the ways to learn trading, and then why you view the uh, Demarc indicator as uh, as such a, a valuable tool. Sure. So basically, uh, I have I, I, when I came into the crypto space, what I really do is I travel the world, I speak at conferences, I do interviews, and I try to educate people on how I foresee this technology, how I foresee the future. I think that's really important. At the same time, I feel that I have an expertise, and that expertise is trading. I have about 15 years of trading experience, even though that wasn't my actual, that's not what actually earned me my paycheck on Wall Street. I was uh, building risk models there. Trading was more like my hobby that I eventually quit my job for to become a trader. Now, within six months, I ended up, my, my job became a content creator like you guys, but I have a good experience trading, and I think I'm very good at it. Uh, I also have an expertise in educating and teaching, and my job on Wall Street did require that. I was uh, educating developers and how, making sure that they understood finance and they were programming the finance correctly. So I brought my skill set into crypto, and that skill set is educating people how to make their own decisions when it comes to trading. So I don't actually want people following my calls. I don't profit from people following my calls. Uh, I try not to make too many public calls. Everything I do is centered around education and educating people how to make their own decisions when it comes to trading, and then they have absolutely nobody else to blame. And I provide the maximum amount of tools for these people to make the most informed decision because not every trade is going to be profitable. I have now started doing these full-day boot camps on educating people how to trade, and the one you attended on the cruise was like a two-hour version of my full of my seven hour full day that I do monetize and I do charge for that education for people to attend because otherwise I'll be dealing with a room of 15,000 people. I was recently at a Tony Robbins event. I have no idea why he would want to do that, but then he is making money from every person. Uh, these are these are much smaller so that I can actually work and I can take everybody's questions. Now, I also do the same thing on my website. There is a learn uh, trading section where I wrote it all out, hundreds of links there so you can learn how to do it for free. Now, I really like the Tom DeMarc indicator and I've seen it used on Wall Street by many trading desks. In fact, I know of multiple trading desks and traders where the only thing they use is DeMarc indicators. They don't care what any other technical signal is except the DeMarc stuff. Now, all I did was Code the logic of the DeMarc stuff into TradingView because TradingView gives you the ability to add your own scripts. Uh, and again, this is something that helps traders make the best decision. Uh, I also made some altercations to it because I think that that code is slightly 
like I, I think my version is a little bit better. I made a few changes. I, I took out a few prerequisites. Uh, I'm also gonna be not, uh, the better it um, it's coded for trading view. The uh, and again, like for do the trademark thing, I, like I don't really call it TD because it's not TD. I made some altercations to it. Uh, I, I don't want to like get sued over a trademark violation, so I don't call it TD. Uh, but the concept is the same because the mathematical logic is public. Uh, so you would have to check out my YouTube channel and my website uh, and read about this indicator and why Wall Street loves it so much and how it's helping people make more probabilistic trading decisions that they take on. Well, there you go, gang. Uh, Tone Vase with some really interesting opinions and thoughts. His website, libertylifetrail.com. And you can see uh, at Tone Vase, T-O-N-E-V-A-Y-S on Twitter and other links in the show notes. And uh, Tone, thanks so much for, for joining and uh, sharing with us today. No problem. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you for having me on, guys. Mr. Travis Wright, I'm not sure if he's gone loco or tone loco or what, but that was some interview. You know, that's one of the things about bad crypto is we don't want an echo chamber here, guys. We're not trying echo to find here, guys. Echo chamber. We're not here. trying to find people who have the exact same opinion as us to just parrot, right? A lot of media, you'll notice if you pay attention, a lot of media out there will do that where they have. Uh, their official talking points, and they will never go against those talking points. Now, us, we're always learning, right? When we started this thing, we said, hey, we're bad. We're learning as we go. We're still learning. We're not, we're not experts in this space by any means yet. We're still growing and learning. I look at myself, I look at life as being a lifelong learner. I always look at life as being a student. I look with the beginning, look at things from a beginner's perspective, and I always see new things. And that's why I think it was so great to have Tone on the show. And actually, when we had him on, I wanted to talk more about trading with him and his processes on trading because he's pretty he's pretty fascinating with his uh, his ideas on how to trade and how to identify certain movements. And he's been pretty accurate over time. But when we ended up having this interview, it just sort of went its own way. And I said, you know what? That was great the way that it went because. You know what? We don't always have to agree with people who come on the show, and I think it makes it more interesting whenever we're able to have open dialogues and conversations around things that uh, you know maybe we don't agree, but that's okay. We can we can agree, we can disagree agreeably, right? I, I disagree, and a lot of people within our culture, but I do agree. Yeah, well, a lot of people aren't able to do that. You know, they want to get. It's, there's this sort of um, lack of tolerance for somebody who doesn't believe what you believe in today's culture. And I think if we could all agree to disagree agreeably, like the great Stephen Covey said in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I think the world would be a whole lot better. Uh, it's okay to disagree. You don't have to be jerks to somebody you don't agree with. That's, you know what, learn from that. Isn't it funny that sometimes the people who yell tolerance the loudest are the most intolerant? Well, it's as I, I read this thing last night. I was I watched actually I watched this video about um, the Frankfurt School and critical theory and how you know disagreeing with everything and being loud about your critique on things. It was really it's really fascinating how culture is today, uh, and it's it, there's this repressive tolerance that one side of the spectrum uh, adheres to. They don't necessarily like tolerance they like to repress it and they like you to be tolerant within their belief system and it's it's systematic and it's been built intentionally and it's really fascinating to kind of dive in and and understand that and then this repressive tolerance led to political correctness and the, because it was like here's science correctness and who believes who says and states the right thoughts the right thinking well that's politically correct and actually uh, general mao of china termed the uh, coined the term politically correct. And um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Stop repressing me, Mr. Travis, right? I'm trying, Mr. Joel Calm. Well, it's one day at a time. It's in my nature. <laughs> we are so glad that you are here as part of the Republic of Bad Cryptopia. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you won't mind taking a moment to review us wherever it is that you hear the show, we really do appreciate that. I know you hear us say it often, that, but that's because uh, a lot of you haven't taken the time yet. And it just it means a lot to us if you do, because it means that you're the baddest of the bad. And it means that you listen every time Travis says. It disgusts me that you haven't left a review yet. <laughs> Stay bad. <laughs>
The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.